Sets up, fires to the end zone. Edwards, Elair, touchdown. Clifford again has time. Throws, and it is intercepted in the end zone by Jordan Howden. After week 11, there's going to be a new number three. There'll be a new number four. That's what we know for sure, I think, after Alabama and Penn State both lost in week 11. There's going to be significant changes across the board, even though those were the only Two, if I'm looking correctly, two top five teams that lost uh, in week 11. Andrew Dowdy back on the High Motor Podcast. Chase Kitty kind enough to drop by again. And we're going to get to your wrong here in a little bit. Who would they hire? Some other items. But first, playoff rankings will be updated on Tuesday night. That'll be 7 o'clock Eastern on ESPN. And Chase, I have my new top 10 here. I see LSU moving ahead of Ohio State. I don't really know how they couldn't. I thought they should have been one before and after those rankings last Tuesday night. Playoff committee chair Rob Mullins said that the difference between Ohio State and LSU was minuscule. I think that was the word that he used. So assuming that he's not just blowing smoke, LSU's win in Tuscaloosa on Saturday, I think that should be and I think it will be enough to push them to number one. Chase, is LSU number one on your board and then who rounds out the rest of your top ten? Yeah, you and I agree that LSU should have been number one to start with. Uh, They were number one on my list. They were number one on your list. Now they should be number one on the playoff committee. Uh, I I don't know how a win in Tuscaloosa doesn't put them ahead of Ohio State. I think Ohio State's a very deserving number two. They they really passed the eye test. Uh, They've got a couple of nice wins already. I, I think the Wisconsin win might not be aging all that well, but I still think they beat the crap out of a really good team. And I think they're going to beat Michigan, and I think they're going to roll to the Big Ten title. So I think those two are going to be top two probably for the remainder of the season unless something really wacky happens. As for the rest of my list, I think for the most part, it's kind of standard. I think there's one notable exception that I'm sure we can talk about. Uh, but number three, Clemson. Number four, Baylor. Number five, Oregon. Number six, Georgia. Wait. Whoa, you have Baylor jumping up to four after a close win over TCU? I do. Well, do you think I, they should or do you I think guess, that will happen? Yeah, so that's, that, that's I think, the big difference here. This is my list. I don't know if this is going to be the committee's list. This is my list. Where did you have Baylor going into last week? I had them in that sort of 5-6 region. Okay, so they were way, way – I, I thought Baylor would kind of be like around – 10 to 12 where they ended up so you thought you were optimistic on Baylor or did I'm you high on expect Baylor. Them? I've been high on them all year I think but did you were... actually expect them to be in that five to six range that's just where you thought they should have been going into last I thought ranking. they would be in the top 10 uh I thought they I thought the committee might value them a little lower because I think they're down on the big 12 but I thought even then they'd be in that six seven eight range um okay sorry go back I interrupted you so you had Baylor at four I yeah I would have Baylor at four I have Oregon at five I have Georgia at six. This is where I struggled after Georgia, okay? Because do I think that Minnesota is the seventh best team in college football? Not really. But they're undefeated. They just scored a big win, and you can't put Penn State above them. They just got a head-to-head win. So I put Minnesota seven, Penn State eight, (laughs) deep breath, Auburn nine, Alabama ten. You don't actually expect that to happen, do you? No, I don't. I don't think a lot of that will happen. But I really do think there are nine teams better than Alabama. 
Well, I think there are eight teams better than Alabama, and you have to put Minnesota ahead of them because they're undefeated. I went a, a different route, and I th- this is what I think will actually happen. So I think LSU will be one. I think Ohio State, I, basically I think everybody kind of moves up. I think Ohio State, um, excuse me, Ohio State will be two. Clemson moves up to three. I don't know if they're, and I talked about this with somebody on Twitter on Saturday night. It seems like LSU and Ohio State have really separated themselves. Like you said, LSU has the resume. They have passed the eye test, whereas Ohio State has a, an, an okay resume. They have the strength of record. Uh, they've passed the eye test, too. I think there's a huge gap between 1-2 and then 3. I have Georgia moving up to 4 uh, going into that field. So basically, they move up two spots with Alabama and Penn State dropping. And then people aren't going to like this, but Alabama is going to be number 5, I think. I, I don't know if they are deserving of number five. I don't know if uh, an Oregon and Utah and Oklahoma is better than Alabama right now. Maybe on a neutral field. Maybe I would consider taking one of those teams. But Alabama is going to be four or five. And people are going to be irate. But that's just how the committee is going to look at it. And that's that's what is going to happen. I would be absolutely shocked if Alabama fell below number five. And then I have uh, Oregon moving up. They had a bye. I have Utah moving up. Oklahoma is what interests me a lot because I had tweeted out my predictions before. I think like Oklahoma was up big on Iowa State earlier. That game hadn't even started yet. And I had put them, I think, at number eight. Even with that near collapse to Iowa State, I still think they stay at number eight. I don't know if Minnesota can jump that high. I get, I mean, I, I'm, I am fully on board with this Minnesota team. I thought they just looked like the better team against Penn State, which a lot of people weren't expecting. If I was, if you told me that Minnesota was going to win that game, thirty-one twenty-six, I would have said some some crazy things would have happened for that to happen, and Penn State still would have looked like the better team. But even though that Sean Clifford threw three really bad interceptions, I thought Minnesota just looked like the better team in that game. Still jumping them, I mean, that's an eight-spot jump. I'll have to go back and look at playoff rankings history, but I'm almost certain that hasn't happened. Even an eight-spot jump going into 10. Where did you have Minnesota on your list? Seven? I think seven or eight, yeah. Yeah, they're, so that would be a range. nine or a 10-spot jump. And I'm, I'm going to go back after uh, we record this and look at playoff rankings history. I see that's can even I, happened. Can I ask you? Absolutely. Minnesota and Penn State play 10 times. Five times at Minnesota, five times at Penn State. How many games do you think Minnesota wins? Six. You th- okay, so you th- I think you think. Do you think Minnesota is the better team than Penn State, or do you think they're just more deserving right now? I think they're more deserving because they just won head to head and they're undefeated. And when you're undefeated in college football in November, you're gonna get you know you're gonna get the nod, and maybe you should. I just I'm really struggling to think of this Minnesota team as like a top eight kind of team. Um, I have them there in my list because I think you have to. Uh, to be fair to them, but I, I just I'm not there yet with them. I also think it's just fair to put them there because they they passed kind of an eye test against Penn State. Penn State did not play that great of a game on Saturday, even though I do think Minnesota looked like the better team. But I think it's a good balance of of passing an eye test and kind of thinking, okay, they're they're a good team. That's why I have them slotted in at nine right behind Oklahoma. If they had looked even better in that game or if the rest of their schedule wasn't complete crap. I mean going into that game, their best win was Maryland. I don't know if that's changed now that now that Maryland got slaughtered again. That was two weeks ago before the bye week they played Maryland and smoked them. But going into last week, Maryland was their best win. They, I don't think they had like a top 50 win at all. I mean, they have they have Georgia Southern and, and, and Fresno State, and those are like not bad wins. Going to Fresno State, going to two, two uh, different time zones, I think we've talked about that in the pod before. That's kind of one of those underrated games where it's not going to get a whole lot of attention metric-wise, but that's a, a decent win. But still, 
going to that Penn State game, having Maryland be your best win, I just have a hard time thinking that even if the committee likes Minnesota, I don't see them jumping up 10 spots. I would think, again, I'm going to go back and look, but I would think that would be unprecedented. Anyways, I have Oklahoma at 8. I think they hold on to that. After that that kind of collapse against Iowa State, I wouldn't be shocked if Minnesota jumped them and Minnesota was 8. I don't see Minnesota jumping. This is kind of my big question here is those one-loss Pac-12 teams. Do they stay or they stay behind Alabama, or do does one does Oregon jump ahead of Alabama? I know a lot of people want to think that Oregon's going to jump ahead of Alabama. I don't know if that's going to be the case. And then where does Minnesota fall with those one loss Pac-12 teams? Do they get ahead of Utah? Do they get ahead of both of them? I don't think they get ahead of either one. And even with Oklahoma's collapse, I still think Oklahoma's going to be number eight. Minnesota number nine. Florida number ten. I don't even have Penn State in the in the top ten. I think you had Auburn number nine. I had them at twelve. So we're not going to go past 10 here but just really quickly those teams on the outside looking in I still have Baylor at 13 I I, I tried to go back and watch as much of that I was at the Minnesota game so I couldn't watch the the TCU Baylor game Uh, but I went back and tried to watch as much as possible Baylor looked pretty bad for most of that game and even though I am getting higher and higher on TCU's defense I just don't know that Baylor is a top 10 team to me Baylor hasn't passed that eye test yet I think that that Oklahoma State win was good but that's not better than Minnesota beating Penn State. And even though the rest of Baylor's schedule is a little bit better than Minnesota's, I still don't think Baylor has taken that step yet. I think they have like a top 10 to 12 resume. But in terms of eye test, I still see them on the outside looking in. So now looking at this, I know that you're a little bit higher on Baylor than I am right now. But it seems like the Big 12 with maybe, I guess, how much weight are you putting into Oklahoma's collapse? Do you after you see that? Do you say, "God, the Big Twelve is in an even worse spot right now," or are you that confident that Baylor is going to beat Oklahoma and truly enter that discussion? Uh, I am pretty confident that Baylor is going to beat Oklahoma. Uh, I think the Oklahoma collapse was—I didn't think it was that surprising. Uh, I, but I'm down on that team. I—I I, I think they pulled it out because. They are better than Iowa State, but man, I mean, talk about razor's edge. It came right down to it. Like, you you know, a two-point conversion goes differently and you lose that game. When I look at the Big 12, I'm. It, it seems like the team, the second team in the Big 12, the second team in that championship game might have three conference losses. Like, that's not that crazy when you look at the other teams that are there in the top half of that league and how many losses they have. And then, like, Oklahoma, which only has one loss but still has two or three really tough games ahead of it left. Texas has, I think, two losses. They've got a couple tough games left. It's really not that crazy to think uh, that that the second team in the Big 12 is going to be playing for a championship with three, not just three overall losses, three conference losses. So it feels to me like Baylor or Oklahoma, because I think Oklahoma is still positioned to make a charge, even if I don't think they're good enough to do it. Uh, it, it, one of those teams has to take control of this conference or the big 12 is just out of it. Like they're, they're, they're really tilting to your point about Baylor. Uh, and, and I've, I've said before, and you point out again, that I'm higher on them than most. I, I'll say this about Baylor. This is now two weeks in a row where they've just sort of looked lethargic. Like they, they haven't looked all that great. They've won and that's what matters. And I think in a four month season, you're going to have a couple weeks like this, but still, Baylor has to come out in the next couple of weeks and show us all something, uh, or they're going to lose the perception battle. 
And then it's not even going to matter if they're there at the end with an undefeated record. If you lose the perception battle with all these other qualified good teams around the nation in college football, somebody else is going to be ahead of them. And even at 12-0 and or 13-0 or whatever, they're probably going to be on the outside looking in. And that perception battle can change a lot. I mean, like I said, they host Oklahoma. That's this weekend. That's primetime ABC. And they uh, host Texas and then go to Kansas. So, I mean, if they can go and, and beat Oklahoma, I don't think they I think they just need to win that game. I don't think they need to put on a show or anything. If they can win that game, I think that changed a lot. If they can maybe put on a little bit of a show versus Texas and then smash Kansas, I think that can change a lot. But like as you said, going to that Big 12 championship game, whether or not they're playing Oklahoma or Kansas State or whoever, it's not going to be that great of a resume win. Whereas if Minnesota runs the table and then and Ohio State you know, beats them by 14 or 17 points or something like that, that's going to be another great resume win for Ohio State in that conference. In the Big 12, they're just not going to have that Big 12 title game. They're not going to have the opportunity that Utah would have against Oregon or vice versa. They're not going to have the opportunity that the SEC will have with uh, you know Georgia or whoever versus uh, LSU or if something crazy happens in Alabama. They're not going to have that opportunity. That's why I think the Big 12 is in the worst spot of the Power 5 conferences. Do you want to play your wrong? Uh, I do, but I want to go back to one other thing you said first which is when you were talking about Alabama at five and people being mad. I think you're totally right. Uh, I, I agree with you, and I, and I also like your approach to that list a lot more. And you could see more. them being four, couldn't you? Um, I don't know about four, but I think I can see them at five. And you're totally right. People are going to lose their minds. But you have to look at what the committee does, and they don't drop teams like this drastically, especially teams that were in the top four that lose to other highly ranked teams. That being said, the committee has emphasized since the beginning of this process that every week they start from scratch and they go in and they look at everybody. I don't believe them. I don't believe that at all. I mean, even, I don't if, believe even if they either. say they do that, they're still, at some point, they're going to like, if they do that, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. If they do that, and then they make their rankings, and then all of a sudden it's going to be like Clemson at like 4 or 5 or 6 or something like that. And they're saying, well, how do we drop Clemson? They just smash NC State. Right. It's like where you start looking at that, and you're like, oh, yeah, you're right. We can't drop them. Because now you are subconsciously, whether or not you want to believe that you're doing it or not, you're still – they all, everybody in the committee could still probably recite last week's rankings. I, I sure as hell hope they could. And they're not they're not going to let themselves just block that out. So anyways, I interrupted you, but I don't believe that they actually do that. I, I agree with you that they probably don't do that either, but they still say that they do. And my, I think my point is if they actually were to do that and they were to go back and look at Alabama with fresh eyes this year, look at Alabama's schedule, look at who they've beaten, look at the fact that they just got worked by LSU and then had to come back late to even make it close— I don't see how this is a top four or five team. I just don't. Uh, so I think you're right. They're going to be right there in the four, five, six range. They're going to be very much still in the mix and in the picture and in position to make a charge and become a second team if they beat Auburn. Uh, but I just don't think they're in that class this year. I think Alabama actually compares sort of to a Penn State, where they're the second or third best team in a really good division, and it's just not going to be their year, and they're going to get left out. 
I, really quickly before we go to your wrong, just one more point on that. I, I guess my I'm just saying that if if the committee thought that highly of Alabama to put them at three, and even if they do scrap their rankings every single week, they're going to use the same method, the same numbers, the same everything. So if they thought that highly of Alabama number three, I think that game against LSU was their biggest piece to their resume. I think that. To me, that meant more than a 20-point win over Tennessee. Then I think they beat Texas A&M by like 17. They, they smashed Ole Miss. They smashed South Carolina. They smashed Duke. I think that LSU game was a bigger piece to their resume, even though they got throttled for the first, what, 35 or 40 minutes? Do you agree with that? That if they're number three, then, then how can you, I guess, how can you drop them? And that's why I, I think that they'll be four or five. But I'm also kind of like preparing people. They could be number three. Like they could realistically be number three again. I don't think that that's out of the question. If the committee has that same logic as I do, that that LSU game is their best piece of their resume, I think it'd be ridiculous to put them at three. But if the committee thought that highly of them, and I can't remember what Mullen said was the gap between uh, them and Penn State and then Clemson, but remember, like Clemson wasn't just like four nipping on their heels. Clemson was five. So if Alabama, if they think Alabama had their biggest piece to their resume with that loss to LSU, and then Clemson beat a horrible NC State team, like I think we're kind of overlooking like what we want to happen. Yeah, I don't think that Alabama should be three. But if I had to bet on it, I probably I would again I would say Alabama would be three, four, or five. I wouldn't. I don't know, 10% chance that Alabama's number three. I wouldn't completely dismiss the possibility after adding the best piece to their resume. I agree. I, I agree with all that, yeah. I People don't, I are going to be pissed. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be thrilled if they were three, but... Especially in the context of what happened in 2017. Um, not, not, not that any of that has to do with any of what happens this season, right? They're totally different data sets. But in the context of Alabama getting in as a non- champion and then this year if they don't drop at all after losing and they stay at three i mean you want to talk about people coming out and and talking about deep space uh deep state (laughs) conspiracies like that is going to happen five minutes after the show ends yeah people are i i can't even i can't even imagine the the sort of reaction to this so anyways let's move on we kind of beat this to death what do you got for your wrong for me okay uh, staying in the SEC, number one, I took sort of a different approach to you wrong this week, a little, little bit lighter because I think, uh, all of the conclusions we needed to draw from the games we've already sort of talked about. Uh, so it took sort of a different approach for you wrong. Number one, SEC teams who lose to G5 schools should be banned from participating in SEC chance for one calendar year. Every athletic, oh, SE, sorry, SEC championships? SEC chance. Chance. You know, like SEC. So SEC. South Carolina fans should shut their mouth. Uh, South Carolina, it's, it's actually a lot this year. Well, yeah, Ar- I mean, I don't, I don't know if like, Ar- like what is Arkansas screaming right now? Hey, at least we're in the SEC West. <laughs> I think that's what they're screaming. I don't yeah, think they're I, screaming anything. I think they're just screaming fire Chad Morris. Um, but yeah. But it's, it's, it's a lot, actually. It's Vanderbilt. It's Arkansas. It's Missouri, who lost to Wyoming week one. It's... South Carolina, I mean, it's it's kind of a longer list this year. I just don't know how much, like, Vandy is screaming, we're in the SEC. How much does Vandy even want to be in the SEC? Van- well, the Vanderbilt thing is kind of an exception, because I feel like they're just sort of hanging out, like, at the upscale bar around the corner from the pep rally, like, drinking old-fashioned with two cherries. <laughs> I agree with you. Yeah. 
What do you got? Very specific. I like to paint a picture. Uh, number two, Liberty and BYU should not be able to play again until they have a named trophy to play for. You know, that didn't even, we kind of talked about this before we hopped on. The whole religion thing of that didn't even hit me. Like, I knew they were playing this weekend, but it was just Liberty's playing BYU. You know, can Liberty get a nice win? Uh, they're playing a little bit better lately. Can BYU kind of add to this run that they've been on randomly? But until I actually, like, saw the score and saw a screenshot of the game, did it not occur to me that these are two of the most religiously separated schools and areas in America? Anyways, what would the trophy be called? Uh, like the shroud, maybe. I'm missing that. The like the you know like the shroud, like the like the like the religious idol, the shroud. I wish I, I could know. understand what you're talking about. Yeah, I don't know. I wish you had a better uh, I, I, idea. I've got a ton, many of which probably cannot be said on this podcast. You have anything that's um, PG third? I don't want to click the explicit button. Yeah, let's let's not. <laughs> let's. Uh, I'm just gonna go to the next one. How about that? Deal. If you have ideas for what the BYU Liberty Trophy should be called, like tweet at Andrew and I. How about yep. that? Tweet at High Motor Pod. Tweet at a Dowdy eighty eight at Chase A Kitty. That's where we can have some of the uh, more colorful discussions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number three, Wisconsin's twenty four twenty two win over Iowa should be considered a shootout. You know, early in that game, uh, one of the Packers writers for USA Today, I think, Zach Cruz, tweeted, if you have no rooting interest in this game, you should never tune in. I did not watch one. Actually, I watched, I, I, I saw the score was close. I didn't see who had the ball. I put it on, like, there's like 50 seconds left, and I saw one kneel down. That was it. Other than that, I did not see one snap of that game. You know, I, I went to look at us, the like the scoring history of the Wisconsin-Iowa history when I wrote this because I hate myself. And surprisingly, uh, like, did you know two years ago, Wisconsin beat Iowa and scored 38 points in this game? Yeah, that was 2017, right? Yeah. thirty. Actually, they've scored 38 points uh, twice in the last 12 years in this game. So uh, I, I'm saying this kind of tongue-in-cheek, but actually when you look... Not not to get totally gambling, because that's another episode, but the over in the Wisconsin-Iowa game has actually been a pretty strong bet over the last 20 years just because of perception versus reality. Yeah, I mean, you have, like, like I'm going to pull it up. You have 2016 where Iowa, or excuse me, Wisconsin won 17-9. In 2015, uh, Iowa won 10-6. But before then, I mean, they both combined for, in most cases, 35-plus for most of the last decade. 2010. 61 points in this game. Yeah. 2010, I mean, you go back to 2008, it's combined for 54. I mean, even yeah. 45 points uh, in 2006, not Because the total for this game was like 37. So, so what are you, you saying? 40, we have a, a misconception of this series? Could there be a a more indifferent series? Could, is there a series in college football where there is more fullback usage than this game? <laughs> Maybe like Army-Navy. That might be it. You know, this is something that I talk about with my cousin quite a bit. He's a Badgers fan. I think he listens to the pod. And I've made it very clear to him that I think Wisconsin missed their window. I think that they had like a three-year window from like 15 to 17 where they had horrific quarterback play. And if they didn't, they would have been in the playoff potentially every single year during a period in which the West was complete piss. Yep. And now they're in 
And we'll see what Scott Frost does. We'll see if Jeff Brom can kind of get that Purdue magic back from the first year. But it's, I mean, Iowa's always going to be that 8-9 to nine win team. If P.J. Fleck can stick around, it seems like Minnesota could get rolling big time here. Um, it, you know, we'll see kind of what Pat Fitzgerald does in Northwestern and all that. But it seems like Wisconsin blew their shot. And this was coming right after they blew their shot in the Final Four. So it's like they had like a four-year period where they could have won a title in basketball, been to the playoff multiple times in football, and I feel like, I don't know if that's their ceiling as a program, but it sure feels like it, and it feels like Wisconsin missed their window, and Wisconsin fans should be looking back and saying, oh shit, we blew it. That was our best chance that we're ever going to have as a program to compete for a real national championship. Do you agree I with that? I had Wisconsin beating that sick Kentucky team a few years ago, it was that 2015, I think? With Carl Anthony Towns yeah. and like the undefeated the, team, yeah, yeah, the crazy undefeated team. I had Wisconsin beating them in, in my bracket, and I was like so excited. I had Wisconsin winning it all, and I was so excited. I was like, I called this. I believed in it. It was crazy. Everybody told me I was nuts. Let's go. I'm about to win all my pools, and then they lost the next game. I was so pissed. Anyway, what do you got? Number four. This one's just for you. This is Andrew Dowdy special. Illinois will finish in second place in the Big Ten West. I've spent a lot of time railing on Lovey Smith. There is, if you had a, a circle graph of my life over the last, whatever, Lovey's been there for what, four years, I think? Something like that. Circle graph years. of the last four years, there would be, you would be able to see a portion of my life that has been railing on Lovey Smith. <laughs> That's how much time I've spent. It would be enough to qualify as a sliver. Right. You would see color on there. Among, amongst everything else, you would see a, a sliver of railing against Lovey Smith. And I think it was a horrible hire. I still think it was a horrible hire. But this run, and even though we're going to talk about who would they hire Michigan State here in a little bit, and even though Michigan State just sucks, and they're beating teams mostly that aren't great, but still they have that Wisconsin win. And here's, I want to ask you this, about this. When a team gets a win like that over Wisconsin, the announcer said like six times that this is the launching point for the Illinois program. This is a program changer. I thought that at the time was garbage. I don't think that... One win like that, especially for a program that had lost to Eastern Michigan a few weeks earlier, I don't think that that is a program changer to beat Wisconsin. I think it's a great win, and that's it. And I've thought that all along, like when Syracuse beat Clemson, I don't think that's a program changer. And whenever there's a big upset like that, I don't think it's a program changer. It kind Um, of looks like a program changer right now, at least this season. Let let me ask you this. Do you think... That particular style of one win can't be a program changer? Or do you think there are no circumstances where one win can change a program? I think it can, but I don't think we're sitting here. I mean, literally the announcer was screaming, this is a program changer. I'm fine with having the conversation, what can they do? How can they bounce off of this win? And it has happened before. Like the Syracuse, or the Syracuse winner of Clemson did kind of launch the Syracuse program forward. Now they're taking a step back. Like, if you go back and look at Minnesota last year, they lost. They got smashed by Illinois in Champaign this t- this exact time last year. And then the next week, they went and beat the shit out of a Purdue team that had just beat the shit out of Ohio State. And that Purdue win seems to have changed everything. I don't know if that's the win that actually did it. But when a win like this happens, saying that this is a program changer, I just don't buy that. I think there are, I mean, there are, I mean you have 120 guys on your team. There are so many different variables in college football. Beating Wisconsin at home, 
I, I don't I think it was a season changer for them. And I think going, but then like building on that, going to a bowl game, that's where you take a step forward. Again, I don't think Lovey Smith is the right guy, which I'm probably in the minority saying that right now. Even though they have a four-game winning streak in the Big Ten, I think they had won three Big Ten games total coming into the season under Lovey Smith. I still don't think he's the right guy to get them. We kind of talked about the floor for Illinois before, uh, or the floor and the ceiling. Like, should they expectations for the Illinois program, should they be in like that five to six range every year, sometimes every five years getting that seven and eight? I don't think Lovey Smith is a guy for that. I think once Scott Frost gets Nebraska rolling, Wisconsin's always going to be in the eight to ten win range. Pat Fitzgerald will have Northwestern a little bit better. P.J. Fleck obviously has Minnesota rolling. So I don't think that they, even if the Big Ten West is mediocre, I don't think that Illinois can get there. But yes, I think that Illinois could fit. I don't have the schedule to pull up for me. What would that entail, Illinois finishing second? Um, well, right now it's sort of crowded in the middle of the Big Ten West. Minnesota's at the top, obviously. So Minnesota would have to beat Iowa and Wisconsin. So that yeah, would give you Iowa, have Iowa Wisconsin, losses. and Illinois sort of all there mixed together. And Illinois has the head-to-head over Wisconsin. They've yet to play Iowa. I think that's their next game. Uh, so I don't, I don't think winning at Iowa is out of the question for them, given what they've done over the last month. They're on a nice winning streak. And Wisconsin and Iowa both still have challenging games ahead of them beyond the Illini, of course. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think it could happen. It's one of those things where it's so complicated because there's so many games left that figuring out an if-then situation doesn't really become a productive exercise. But it could happen. And if Illinois were to finish second, or even if they finish in a tie and don't have the right tiebreakers, but they're right there with Iowa and Wisconsin, I mean, that's an unmitigated success for that program this year, right? Maybe that is. And then I guess that, excuse me, I guess that goes back to what I was saying earlier. Maybe it's just a season changer and they right. can build on it. It could be a program changer. Uh, yeah, looking at their schedule, looking at the stands really quickly. As you said, they go to Iowa and they play Northwestern at home. That's a win. They're going to Even, be Northwestern. Yeah, they probably have to win both of those because I don't see Wisconsin losing. Uh, even so, if, if Minnesota goes to Iowa, then they'd win. They'd, Iowa would have four losses. And then even if Illinois did, even if that didn't happen, Illinois could beat Iowa and have the tiebreaker there. And then if Wisconsin loses to Minnesota in the regular season finale, uh, Illinois would have the tiebreaker over the Badgers because it'd only be a two-way tie. Yeah, it's. I mean, I, I don't know if I put it at. I don't know if I put it at better than like a 25% chance, but Illinois could finish second, which is so ironic because going into the season, a lot of the takes were, and this is kind of my take too, that you can make an argument that six teams in the West could have won that division. Illinois was not one of them. Illinois is not going to win the division. Basically, unless Minnesota just shits the bat, they're going to run away with this thing. But you could have made an argument that six teams could have won that division. Illinois was not one of them. Now they have a chance to finish second. Yeah. What, uh, real, real quick, Big Ten West, better than the Big Ten East? Is, are we there? <laughs> That's actually not a horrible question. Yeah, but it's not. <laughs> it's not there yet, but I, to your point, going back to what you were talking about earlier with all these pro, you know, Wisconsin missing its window, and now there are all these Big Ten West programs sort of rising up. Michigan State seems like they're losing momentum. It's not that crazy to think in one or two seasons the Big Ten West could become the seat of power in that conference. Yeah, and I'm, I'm looking at it, and I, I, no, they're, they're not there yet. And if you were to stack up the teams, kind of like how we stacked up the top five American teams versus the top five ACC teams last week and said play them, like I, I would take Ohio State over Minnesota. If you think that Wisconsin's the second best team in the West, um, 
I think them and Penn State would probably be a pretty good game. And then whether or not you think Indiana or Michigan is the third best team in the East playing Illinois, you're probably taking Michigan or Indiana in that game. So yeah, I think that the matchups would be really hard for the West to win many of those. Like I would take Nebraska over Maryland. Uh, I would take Northwestern over Rutgers. I would probably take Purdue over Michigan State. But other than that, I think it would be hard for them to get to four or five wins. Uh, do you have one more you're wrong, or do you want to jump into who would they hire? I do, but let's let's jump into who would they hire because it's about Alabama. We've kind of already talked about that. Yeah, I don't want to talk about Alabama anymore. So who would they hire? I wanted to do Michigan State this week, and we weren't planning on do it, but I te- Chase, I had texted you. I think we were going to do Memphis because of how Mike Norvell's name had been linked to this Florida State job. He's supposedly near the top of the list. I think that'd be a fantastic hire, a little bit better than Dion. So we're not going to do Memphis because I had texted you in the fourth quarter of that Illinois-Michigan State game and said, we're going to do Memphis unless Michigan State blows this. They ended up blowing it. So let's do Michigan State. A.D. Bill Beekman, he's in his first season as A.D. He took over. uh, Mark Hollis was there for a long time before he resigned late last year, early this year. And Beekman, this guy went to Michigan State. He's worked there for 24 years in different associate AD roles. He was like the president of the board of trustees. And the reason why I wanted to do this was because they collapsed, but also because last week he was asked about Mark D'Antonio and his job security. I think the question was, would you consider making the change? And this is what Bill Beekman said. That is not even a discussion. Mark's our head coach. There's no question about that. So if Michigan State were to move on from Mark D'Antonio after the season, his buyout as of December 1st of this year would be $7 million. So Mark D'Antonio, really quickly, he had the run from 10 to, to 15 with five seasons with at least 11 wins, three Big Ten titles over that time, the playoff appearance in 2015. And as I mentioned on a show a few weeks back, the blowouts have just kind of begun piling up lately. Tons of 20-point losses over the last few years. Then he had the 3-9 and nine debacle in 2016, rebounded nicely with 10 wins in 2017. But since then, he is... From my account with that Illinois loss, he's 11-11 in his last two seasons. And Beekman seemed pretty firm about that before blowing the Illinois lead. You would think this wouldn't change enough for him to go completely from that's not even a discussion to flat out you're fired. But you never know. I mean, they still play at Michigan. They're losing that game in Ann Arbor. They're going to be 4-6 and six with Rutgers and Maryland left to reach bowl eligibility. I think I believe Beekman. But at the same time, he's a first-time AD. The pressure's got to be high on him. The stadium has been like half full or a third full for the second half of several games this year. So the question is, if Mark D'Antonio is fired, who does Michigan State hire? Chase, do you have somebody in mind or do you want me to throw out some names first? Uh, I do. I have a couple. Before I even say that, I want to say I think you did a really good job setting that up. The, uh, I think what I would add is... I would connect, I would directly connect the fact that he's a first time AD to his original comments. So everybody knows, oh, new AD might want to get his own guy in there. So I think that's why you come out with such a strong Wait, show what's he of force to with say? the comments. Like, what is he supposed to say? Right, but there are levels of denying, right? There's, no, we're happy with where we're at. And then there is, you know, probably some next level. And then there's sort of the level three answer, which I think is what he gave of, there is absolutely no base. We're not firing him. It's not going to happen. I, I think that's probably strong for a first-time AD like that because you know that the narrative is going to get formed very quickly. Uh, he might want his own guy in there, you know, new AD. Because uh, everybody knows that. You know, anybody who is even sort of a, a level two college football fan, above casual fans, kind of knows that that's how it works. Like, 
new AD wants to get his own guy in there. So I think that's a smart play from him. Uh, I have two names. The, I think the obvious name in the Michigan area, uh, if, if you want to go after somebody new is Chris Creighton. Um, it's, it doesn't take a lot of creativity to get there, but I think his name deserves to be mentioned. I think what he's done with the Eastern Michigan program is good. Uh, that's, you know, when you look at how he has been successful there versus what other Eastern Michigan coaches have done, it's night and day. So I think his name deserves to be in there, but I think this is one of those cases where they might not even go outside of the program if they decided to make a change. Mike Tressel's the defensive coordinator there, and I think he's a great fit for sort of what they try to do. Uh, and of course, his last name is Tressel, which can't hurt in terms of you know the recruiting and the fans and the perception and everything. So uh, he, he's not directly related to Jim Tressel, but I think they are sort of somehow related as second cousins or something like that. Uh, I think either one of those names could be in play. You know, I have Chris Creighton on the list. He's done unbelievable work at Eastern Michigan, like you alluded to. I think the sell on Chris Creighton would be tougher. I mean, let's be honest. You know that Eastern Michigan has won. That's like a bottom quarter program in the country. And I think that it's a bottom quarter job. And I think that the donors, if they're coughing up $7 million in buyout money, I think they're going to have a hard time connecting the dots saying we're a Big Ten program that was in the playoff four years ago. We're now hiring a guy that's at a bottom quarter program in the country, even though I don't, like, in terms of wins and losses, they're not. But just in terms of where their program stands, the resources, all that, I think it's still a bottom quarter program in the country. I think it'd be a great hire, but I think the sell would be tough on that one. I like Mike Trestle a lot. Uh, younger guy, I believe. I think I don't even think he's 40 years old yet. Um, he, you know, he's been at Michigan State for a while now, so I think that would be interesting. Kind of along those lines, I think Pat Narduzzi would get a lot of play with how brilliant his defenses were there. He kind of helped build uh, that side of the ball for D'Antonio. He hasn't done that much at Pittsburgh to warrant it, but because of that, maybe he could be looking for a change of scenery. I think they'd probably give him a call whether or not he'd be interested. I don't know. Staying out there in Pennsylvania, I think Rod Carey would get some play. He spent a lot of time kind of in that region. He'd be the latest Temple head coach to leave. Um, but a lot of time in the Midwest. Did pretty good work at Northern Illinois. I mean, didn't, he didn't kind of tear the roof off the place like Dave Dorian did. Uh, but still an interesting name there. I want to start, or not a start, but I want to throw out a, an interesting candidate here. I don't know if it's, I don't think it'll happen because I think he needs a G5 stop first. But when I was watching that Minnesota game and thinking about this Michigan State job, how about Kirk Shiraka, the Minnesota offensive coordinator? He was with P.J. Fleck at Western Michigan. He's recruited the hell out of every corner of that state. He's done marvelous work with the RPO. He could inject serious life into a Michigan State offense that has been pure garbage for, what, seven, eight years? Again, I don't think it's going to happen. I think that Shiraka would need, like, an Eastern Michigan stop first, like a Western Michigan stop first, or some Mac school or wherever, before he were to get a job like that. But I think that he could be an interesting name. I don't know if Beekman is willing to go that. I mean, talk about a tough sell. You're hiring an offensive coordinator that was working at G5 school three years ago. So I think that Chris Creighton, I mean, is he the name here? And maybe it. none of these guys really jump out at me. So maybe that's the answer. I don't see, even though Chris Creighton, uh, Pat Narduzzi, they are there, but... It doesn't seem like there's any, but we did Florida State last week, and I think I named like five or six guys that I really love for that job. There aren't five or six guys that I really love for a Michigan State job, even though I've been really hard on Mark D'Antonio because nobody jumps off the page at me. Maybe they don't make a change, and maybe nobody's jumping off the page to Bill Beekman either. 
I, I wonder if to, to sort of combine our ideas, what if they bring Trestle into the head coaching position and then go grab a young offensive coordinator sort of as a best of both worlds thing? What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, they could go like along the lines of what LSU did with Joe Brady. They could, um, like Oklahoma State, as you know, Sean Gleason coming from Princeton. That's kind of become the trend lately where you're plucking these guys. I'm like, Kansas' offensive coordinator was an NAIA coach last year. You have three offensive coordinators in po- at Power 5 schools. I mean, uh, Joe Brady was an offensive assistant for the New Orleans Saints. He was a GA at Penn State three years ago. Like I said, Brent Dearman was the head coach at Bethel University, NAIA, last year. Sean Gleason was the OC at Princeton. These are all guys that are in their 30s that were completely off the radar. I guess my only worry with that is that you're a first-time head coach and get a guy that's completely off the radar. Is that too much for a, a transition like Michigan State? I don't think so, but I don't know. It, I think it is a more conservative school and a more conservative approach, so I think that would maybe be a lot. I guess maybe the um, overriding topic but is, it is here, the should they right even, now. do you even feel that great about anything that we've talked about that would suggest that they should make a change because somebody's sitting out there that would make a hell of a lot more sense? No, I think they're going to stay with Antonio. I think this is all hypothetical. I, I believe should make this a change? DAD when he says that he's going to, he's going to ride. So you don't think they will, or you don't even think they should make a change? I don't think they will. Uh, I'm not ready to say they should, but I think if, they get to a place where they should. This is the this is what it looks like on the way there. How about that? I'll be back on Wednesday morning with the midweek episode. I have a solid guest locked down for that, and Chase will be back breaking down college football week twelve lines, third to last regular season week, and then conference championships. Always remember to send betting questions to Chase on Twitter. Give him a follow. Ask him anything at Chase A Kitty. Thanks for dropping by the High Motor Podcast this week. We would love to have you back later this week. Bye.